Today is August 4th, 2021. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chase Tokomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border, the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands were uh, signed on September 22, 1877, Oxford Treaty 7, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bears Paws Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Nolkinspis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my uh, Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indhe, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging our role as treaty partners. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down the red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot afford to give. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. Uh, also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening on. I have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And it was actually through uh, my social media and emails that I got in touch with Caleb. And I'm really grateful to have you here. And I'd like to give you some time to introduce yourself. Danse, Nimatasa Ninasiga son Caleb Anaker. Treaty Six Territory, Otsania, Oma Patarao, Otsania. Hello, my name is Caleb. Uh, I was. Uh, uh, blessed or gifted with a uh, ceremonial name by uh, Ken Saddleback and a chicken dance at Blue Quills a few years ago of Dancing Rock. Uh, however, I'm I'm a white settler and I'm a, a guest here on Treaty 6 territory. Uh, we're currently sitting in uh, some of the territory nearest to Saddle Lake and positioned between Saddle Lake and uh, Kihuan Cree Nation. Um, we're also surrounded by several Métis settlements, Kikano Métis settlement, Elizabeth Métis settlement, Fishing Lake Métis settlement. Um, and so we are on uh, traditional lands of the Cree, the Métis, the Dene, uh, the Stony Nakoda, lots of First Peoples have crossed these lands over the years. And I um, 
See, I choose to, inter to introduce myself in uh, Nehiawewen um, as a, um, to speak to the language that came to the land and to the spirits that come from this place and to recognize that I am a visitor here and that I have responsibilities uh, to treaty and to the people and to all of the beings that are here. Um, my people are French and come from Normandy and are German and come from Leipzig um, and are English and come from Wales. Um, and I don't know much of that lineage because uh, I guess uh, whiteness becomes the voice of, of all of that. Um, and so there's much more about me that I wish I knew and I could know more of, but uh, my lineage is, is uh, whitewashed literally in uh, being Canadian and being, uh, being American, some of my family are from. Um, thank you so much. Michelle for having us on the show. I, I listen to it regularly. And so I am, I feel honored to, to be a guest here. And I, my, uh, after I introduce myself, my hope is to more or less listen to uh, you and Roy have a conversation. Um, uh, and I'll let Roy introduce himself, but uh, I see him as, as my mentor and my role model and uh, one of the many guides that assisted um, and led this project about restoring the history of St. Paul de Métis, which is a town just south of ours, which is now called St. Paul, but uh, properly and originally um, belonged, which is not really a good word, but belonged to the Métis people. So awesome. thank you. Hi, hi. No, thank you, Caleb. That was wonderful. Mm. Roy, I am so honored to have you here. I, I can't wait to talk to you. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I, I have to start off by saying I can't come close to, to the introduction you guys gave, but I'll keep it simple because uh, part of my program that I'm in is, is keeping everything simple. Uh, my name is Roy Missel. Uh, I'm part of the Garneau clan, uh, which originated from uh, Red River uh, area of uh, close to Winnipeg. Uh, uh, from what I know is uh, my great grandfather was quite uh, in in uh, I have a hard time saying that an entrepreneur or in uh, but anyway he was a pretty wealthy businessman he owned uh, he uh, he established uh, large uh, tracts of hayland around Hay Lakes Alberta he had uh, he came to Edmonton area and he had uh, uh, tracts of land along the river that he, that he formed. Uh, with the idea of, uh, of uh, getting the rights to it, which he never did. Uh, he was also in politics and he was uh, actually, uh, I think part of uh, his demise is when they found out or accused him of, of being part of the Louis Real regime, which uh, affected his wealth and his, and his, uh, his being in politics. And uh, from what I, I heard, uh, I read in history and, and, and heard uh, other people uh, within the family talk. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that really, uh, when we started writing this book, or, or I guess throughout my life was uh, not feeling complete, eh? like uh, yeah. uh, hearing these stories about, you know, the wealth of, uh, of, of uh, my ancestors, yet if I brought that out in school, people would say, well, you know, if you had wealth, where is it now? And uh, if I talked to my mother about it, she'd never really answered to that. She, it was just 
you know, kept quiet. So uh, for myself, I really believe that uh, the Métis were to be seen and not heard. But but going back to my ancestry, my great my great grandfather was of Ojibwe descent from uh, North Dakota, and he he uh, I guess he had quite a bit of uh, doings back there. If uh, I haven't read the complete history on it, but uh, you know, and uh, on my on my dad's side, my father's side, he's of German descent, born in Volinska, Ukraine, of German descent. But uh, I think my my father could have passed for a Métis. He's very dark, like a dark German or whatever. Sure. And, uh, we, yeah, we also farmed land in Sad Lake. So I, I got to know the Native people, you know, pretty good. And uh, like, uh, I guess I could call it being blessed of of growing up with Natives. I've never seen anything, you know, bad or, or, or whatever. You know, like in school, we're taught to... Uh, I think even as Métis, we're taught to look down a little bit at the natives, and uh, and uh, to me that was all taught stuff. And uh, but anyway, going back to this incompleteness, uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, I grew up with this feeling of not being a part of, in a lot of areas of my life, and uh, and I think it did have a a, a bearing on my uh, my, uh, my addiction, you know. I, I, at a very young age, uh, alcohol took all those feelings away. Eh? Yeah. And uh, I could use that. And uh, anytime something uh, affected me, I, 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 I guess I grounded away with alcohol. And then somewhere down the line, I crossed that line of, of no return. Eh? And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's so many addictions out there. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It, it's when you don't feel complete, you turn to something else, you know, and, uh, and I think uh, as a suppressed people, we uh, it's also uh, it's control of them. Like like you keep somebody suppressed and not feeling worthy, uh, uh, they have a hard time becoming the person they can be. Right. But, you know, having shared in this book has made me feel proud and uh, uh, and uh, made me f- feel more complete of who I am, and knowing that uh, there's nothing wrong in being matey. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, this last couple of days, I actually I shared with a lady in St. Paul yesterday. Uh, she grew up uh, really embracing the French culture, not so much in, in the native, but I, I know her father worked for my dad on the farm. And uh, she started sharing and she just started opening up all, all the sides that, that, you know, she said, my mom used to do this, do that. And we never talked about it. Like, you know, the native part, like the, the camping, the hunting, the... I think even uh, some leather work in that. But, you know, I shared that with her and I says, uh, did you ever feel you could share that, you know, with your French culture? And and she goes, no. And and I think that's a very important thing that I see around, uh, around our town is, especially in St. Paul, if you embrace the French culture and then just uh, slowly your bloodline could be clean again. <laughs> you, know, you could become clean again well I, I couldn't understand why were you dirty in the first place you know thank you, you, know, you know. <laughs> and then and I could never understand that and, and if I ever tried to share that with somebody <clears throat> whatever they were taught would come out you know it would be you guys or or I, I'd always hear this thing about get over it and and that really bothered me that 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 saying get over it yeah you know uh I was sharing, and the, the, the analogy I use is if uh, 
if a child comes home and he's getting beat up at school and his dad doesn't know how to deal with it and he says, you know, he asks his dad, you know, dad, what, what can I, what can I do? I'm getting beat up at school. And, and the dad said, just get over it. Why? Because their father doesn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of that in, in, in life. Uh, a lot of people don't know. So it's a very easy way to, to justify, uh, you know, whatever you're saying, just get over it. In other words, you don't want to deal with it. And I think it's fear-based because uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, I always say the person with the big club, the person with the big club, uh, maybe deep down they know there there's some uh, things that weren't right, but but it's just easier to say get over it and, uh, and then it'll go away. But it doesn't go away. You have to get yeah. through it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I think that's what this book's about. Uh, we wrote it's about getting through stuff because everybody has a story. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, everybody has a story about uh, about their life. Uh, and and we, when we can come to to a table and come to a circle and uh, share our st- stories, we 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 can come out with an understanding of one another. We might not have a complete agreement with one another, but we'll have a good understanding. And then through that, uh, people can become, we can become a we, like you said, not, not a me, a we. Yeah. That's where the French part comes in. <laughs> but I have a little bit of humor. I haven't said my Kentucky Fried Chicken joke, Eddie. <laughs> it's coming. I love KFC. <laughs> well, that's part of, in the book, in the book we wrote, there was supposed to be a, my, my, uh, uh, what he can claim to fame is supposed to be KFC under my name, hmm. but uh, <laughs> oh, that's just a little goodness. joke we have on the side. Everybody's got a degree. Mm-hmm. Mine was going to be KFC. Mm-hmm. Name, so. You got your doctorate for sure yeah, in KFC. Yeah, yeah no. I don't know if KFC mm-hmm. would go with that. Though. You, <laughs> you know, right, you got to have the rights to everything now. You so. got to know those secrets, those twelve <clears throat> secret ingredients. That's right. <laughs> that's right, and. Uh, but you know, uh, just overall, what I said, like, and, and I think people over the years, people got these little pockets of each has their own story, and 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 we're shooting arrows and fire at each other, and then it doesn't. I mean, everybody's got uh, things that happen in their life, and and I think over the years, people. I was just watching a show last night where where people, when they first came to this country, they survived on with one another. They had to. They had yeah. to rely on one another. Then as colonization took power, it became individualism. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody sees, oh, well, I got to do better than the next guy. Instead of instead of keeping that community spirit, there was a separation. And then there's pocket separations, culture separation. And then everybody's got their own idea of what's right and what's wrong. And, and in reality, we all, we're all equally one. But but uh, somehow we've separated all that, and uh, I, um, our minister in in church said it, it explained it the best to me. He says the Métis were like the Israelites; they were they were wandering for you know years out in the desert, and and uh, you know the, the natives got a reserve at least, but the Métis people were were the roadside people. They they ended up kind of with nothing, like like left on, and I think. Uh, I didn't experience that too much in, in as a Métis because uh, because of the name Garno, we were accepted more into you know as a, and and it's all about that status thing you know 
it has a lot to do with it. And uh, so I, I, I wasn't uh, uh, like, you know, uh, I guess looked down at as much as some other people. And uh, it's a shame we live in a world where, where uh, you know, somebody can do good, you can be happy for him, but, but that doesn't make you better than the next person. It shouldn't. Yeah. But yeah. for some people, that's what it's about. It's I'm better than you because I have this. No, but what do you have inside? It's what you have inside that counts, not, you know, not on the outside. So uh, that, that's the way I view it, you know. So, uh, but, you know, I, I'm very uh, grateful that the Métis, and I really believe the God of my understanding is sovereign and, and the truth will always come out. Like uh, the way I best explain the book, there's a, a, a fellow that's part of our book. He's from Quebec. And he said, Roy, what happened to, to my Métis people? I said, they're all in hiding. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, if you, if you just embrace the French culture and you pretend you're French, you could be, you'd be walking around with a feather sticking out of your head or whatever, but you're, you're, if you're called a Frenchman, you're a Frenchman. Eh? And if you embrace that part, then, then you, 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 you're able to fit into society better. You were, I think you, you talked about that, your dad protecting you, like, you know, protecting you from that outside things of the world. And, uh, so, uh, but like I said, uh, I said the best way I can explain what happened to St. Paul is my mother used to say, Roy, sweep up, clean up your room. And I used to sweep everything under the rug. And then four or five months later, my mom said, what are the lumps under the rug? And I said, well, that's what's happening in history. People are asking, you know, what are the lumps under the rug? And, and a lot of people that I've talked to, I'm in the moving business. It, it wasn't people from St. Paul itself. It was people from outside asking me the questions what happened to this town you know and that probably 10 15 years ago people started asking that, that lady from nova scotia you know and but but she knew the history of what happened there i guess there was a bounty on natives there even at one time mm -hmm. uh, you cornwallis know, and, yeah so i go holy man you know and, and so she was she, like she's a historian or she likes reading up on history but she knew more about saint paul than i did you know, be for the simple fact that she really got into that. Yeah. And she said, you know, why why isn't your town still called St. Paul the Métis? And I started thinking, yeah, why isn't it called that? You know, there's got to be reasons behind it. So I think a lot of the stuff that happened uh, to St. Paul itself, and well, not right from from Red River, right from the start of, of uh, the colonies, was the motives behind the church and the government. Yeah. I think there was underlying motives right from the start. No, that's my opinion. If you talk to, I think, a Catholic historian, you're going to get the opposite for sure. <laughs> and, and I mean, but that's what they were taught. They were taught to defend their written history. But I think through the book, by sharing with, you know, 10 mateys and nine, nine out of the 10 have the same story, yeah. there'll be some truth to it, yeah. you know? And, and that's what made me more confident of what I heard through the years it was probably truthful. It wasn't just hearsay. And I think that's uh, part of the gift from the creator is uh, with the Métis and the natives is this verbal, it's not written history, it's verbal passed down from generation to generation. You know? And uh, I remember uh, on my family side, they never talked too much, but if they had a few drinks, they talked about what, they really felt about the church and that because I think their true feelings came out. Eh? Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, that's the way it is. When you suppress something, 
you pretend it's not there, but it's still there. And, and uh, I think for any individual, uh, whatever tr tr uh, trauma you went through young in life, it you there's a root inside there and the root has to come out where it's all started. If it doesn't, it's still in there. You can pretend you got over it, but, but you know, and even to where I am today, there's probably still stuff inside of me that I don't understand or know, but if it's God's will, that'll be revealed. And, but as the more I uh, become a part of this, the more I, I uh, get to know who I really am and, I and, feel and, that. and feel proud of it. Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't have to, uh, try to be somebody I'm not, you know, and, uh, and, and it doesn't really matter. E even the person that, that uh, maybe lashes out against me, he, he was taught that he was taught that. So I got to look at that person that, Hey, that's where they were taught. All I can do is uh, love that person for who they are. And maybe one day they'll have, they'll come to an understanding, yeah. you know, and, and I know when we presented this book to the, to the museum, St. Paul museum, the French Cultural Museum, or museum, there was a lot of very uh, defensive people. But but what what God kind of showed me was, you know what, this person was was uh, was uh, like uh, what she learned, she thought was the truth. Doesn't mean it was. And then to have this come out was probably very traumatic traumatic for her. But by just being uh, good to her and, and saying, you know, there's another side to look at this. I think that person can slowly come to a different understanding, mm -hmm. but, but when, you know, when you, it's like anything, uh, if you think something, you know, it's like when I grew up in school, I thought every communist or Protestant was a bad person because yeah. I was taught that. Yeah. Then I found out, no, I, I was told to think that doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Cuba. I had no problem coming from. Well, I did have trouble coming from Cuba. I started saying I came from Cuba. I was on a plane going to the states. A lot of people <laughs> didn't like that, especially with my Cuban shirt on. <laughs> I bet. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you know no, what? I am. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I don't think I've told people that uh, we are lucky enough to have both Caleb and Roy, and they're both co. Um, authors of this book, Restoring the History of St. Paul de Métis, and that's actually going to be our next book club selection, but a bigger picture, it was because Caleb actually reached out to me to even tell me this book existed, and I'm really grateful for that because, um, you know, everything Roy is saying about us, you know, not really knowing our history and not knowing under, and to me, every single place in Canada needs to have a conversation about what Métis um, contributions were to their uh, town, settlement, um, the city in a lot of cases as well, because it, it is the Métis that were, you know, racially targeted displaced people, um, given so much discrimination because of Louis Riel and the, and the um, you know, the rightful rebellion, frankly, like he was, a, he was really trying to fight for rights for the Métis and, and um, you know, inherent rights that we would talk about today when it comes to the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. And this is a problem all across Canada that no one wants to talk about. So when you said defensiveness, this is the fear that we're getting from settlers. You know, when we signed those treaties, it was with the assumption of equality. And we've never had that. 
And I think they're so afraid of losing any type of power, which is the really unfortunate part. Like you were saying that you were taught, um, you know, that Protestants and communists were evil. It's an interesting thing because I've been, uh, since my daughter has been homeschooled, it's been really apparent to me that uh, our schooling system teaches white supremacy. And so you, if you're a person who's not white, you are kind of being taught to, you know, hate yourself. And if you are uh, in, uh, and you know, non non indigenous person, you get to look down upon indigenous people because that's what they teach in in the school system, inadvertently with ignorance and and you know a lot of um, so called progressives will say oh well you know. Uh, we know they've got a really bad uh, situation, but they still have kind of a white savior lens that still demeans who we are as a people. When the irony is we are so strong, we are survivors, and we have this incredible history that's being suppressed, which is the brilliance of this book, is to try to talk about the actual history of St. Paul. And because so many of our elders are still alive to talk about it, like how lucky are we to even have you here, Roy, to discuss this? So I, I hope you understand the gravity of this. You are giving, you know, Albertan kids a, a history lesson that they never had before. You, along with uh, Caleb, Tanya, Megan. Uh, so some of these folks here that are, are listed as your co-authors, um, what was it like working with them, uh, talking about all of these things? You're talking to me? Yeah, Roy, <laughs> you bet. Well, I think... Uh what it done for me was uh because we all come from a different uh background you know and we became like we all started off individually but we all had an understanding of one another and uh i think what blew me away is when we got nanji uh can't remember his last name but he's a south african i, I go well what is he but i mean there was so much uh, colonization, everything that happened in South Africa, and mm. and yeah. he brought so much to the table too. Like, uh, yeah, uh, like you know, but but at first I'm going, well, what has he got to do with Saint Paul the Métis? But but that's you know an understanding I had. And then, but by being open minded, I go, hey, everybody's a you know, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, like I think uh, uh, I'm taught, like you know, uh, I grew up. My dad was a farmer. Well, this is the way you got a farm. No, I think you can be open to anything. You know, if you're open-minded, you, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to uh, agree with something or whatever, but it's the ability to, uh, to, uh, to be open-minded and let everybody have their story, you know, and, uh, and I think that's so important because uh, I think a lot of people got stuff, even like the settlers that came to St. Paul, they were misled. They were just thought this land was open to them. Yeah. You know, and going back to what you said about uh, us being resilient and uh, overcoming stuff, I, I know the Métis people in St. Paul, they were only granted 80 acres, I think, at the beginning. And they survived on 80, whereas the white settler was, was allowed 160. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there you go. I remember uh, we, we made a, a float for the parade deer about 10 years ago. We only got it half done. We came in second place. So I go, hey, there you go. <laughs> we came in second so i mean uh, you know and, and i'm you know when i start thinking of the history of the metis coming here you know in the wilderness like i do a lot of traveling on motorbike and that and i uh, you know i i figure i'm really out in the out in the wilderness like i i just done a, a trip to the yukon and everything and 
me and a couple buddies and we took a couple well logging roads and i figured well geez i'm really remote and then i started thinking what did the what did the, the two courier de bois go through they're in the <laughs> middle of nowhere and and they're the ones that formed this land and mm-hmm. never mind the, the little towns before that mm-hmm. like it's just amazing what they encountered and like i've been up in lac Lorange and and uh, where the water rays were Dan, the portages, these boats, 15, 20 kilometers, these big York boats and that. And, uh, you know, no wonder, no wonder the white settler came and were, were uh, kind of pissed off at the Métis because <laughs> they were, you know, they were very, they had to go through harsh conditions. And, mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for the natives, they would have never survived. You know, and, and, I, and I think a lot of people don't understand, uh, going a little off, off topic of the Métis, that the, the natives... I heard where the, uh, the treaty signed, they were the keepers of the land, they said. They didn't mm-hmm. say they owned the land. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of misinterpretation, young people going around, we own the land. No, they don't own the land, but but that's what it takes. People people hone in on small stuff like that, and then it becomes a reality. It's not. It's, yeah. it's misled information. But having said that, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a white person, a mate, or whatever, you still got those small core group that, that, that hit the media and that and, and people don't see the information for what it really is. Like the old saying goes, there's always two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do a lot of coffee drinking and I, I don't believe, a lot of, well, I believe some coffee shop talk, but none of it is. <laughs> I just listen because uh, I, I, I explained to one person one time, I said, don't believe everything you hear. I said, I broke my toe in the east end of town. By the time we got to the west end of town, I was in a full body cast and I was drinking out of a straw. <laughs> I mean, it all, starts, it all starts with something small and sometimes, you know. So so I think, you know, um, what, what I'd like to get back to is this. I, I really believe these circle meetings, the more we have them, the more people come to uh, understanding. We didn't get to where we are in this unsettled world overnight. And... Uh, I think somebody said it's going to take a real long time to get back to where we should be. And I said, I don't think, I don't think so because we live in a fast paced world now. So what took a long time to unravel, I think can be brought back a lot faster mm-hmm. with the media we have now with the understanding of the younger generation, because the younger generation, I think really wants to know what really happened Yeah. in history. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's time to, the rug is lifted and the lumps are there. And I, I explained it the way this is my understanding is uh, when uh, Mr. Lamru asked me, you know, what do you think has to happen? I said, well, you're, you're a man of faith. You, uh, you, you confess your inequities to your church once a week or whatever. I said, I think it's time your church goes to confession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, and, and, and that's just my understanding. Because uh, church is made by man. Yeah. And, and there, for every person, I, I believe our creator and God's word is pure. Man gets a hold, forms a religion. There's an evil thread running through it. Yeah. You don't watch if the thread gets too thick. So, so does the evil. So, I mean, and then that's accountability. And then there's nothing wrong with, uh, with being accountable. The truth will set you free. So I mean, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Yeah. And, and, and I think carrying the big club, there's nothing wrong with carrying 
he just froze up. There's uh, a holding got... banner. Not not using it to knock people down. Because you know, even myself in school, and, and I'm not going back to feel sorry for myself or anything, but I remember going to school feeling proud, well, you know, feeling good. And then we talked about Louis Real. And when you said something about Louis Real uh being uh, um called uh well the crazy man or something well he was he 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 was emotionally involved with his people so i don't know who the psychiatrist that that uh, deemed him uh, crazy he might have been a roman catholic uh, or whatever uh, you know whatever part of the other side or whatever you know the side that that, that deemed him uh, wrong but it doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean he was he he was probably very emotional and i think he was a visionary yeah. I think he was so, so pr pronounced seeing uh, what was happening to his people that he might have been uh, viewed as a, as a crazy man or something. Wow. I, I mean, think because uh, he was so, so determined uh, for the rights of his people that yes. probably people said, well, you are crazy to do that. But hey, he, he really believed in what was what was true. I well, and, we come from a society that uh, doesn't like get so defensive about uh, Canada being for human rights, but yet they did it at the expense of all of our human rights yeah. and uh, and perpetuated genocide on us. So for somebody to demonize Louis Riel, that's their own insecurities. You talked about fear again. You know, the, there's a lot of importance in this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm -hmm. All of these pages are scary to settlers to deal with their actual truth of how they got here. And, um, you know, and, and it's important, like, no wonder you were taught to hate Protestants when, yeah. you know, the, this is what they teach. They taught that. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so well documented now in the entire uh, Truth and Reconciliation mm -hmm. Commission report. And I'm... I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to you and all the other elders that told and speak your truth because we need to hear it as youth. Like you're right, we want to learn. And for me, I would rather I, I, I have spent my what last 14 years unlearning as opposed to, you know, um, you know, really I, I had a lot of white supremacy ingrained in me. And I've had to really unlearn a lot of that. And then of course I find my pride when I realize what my family had survived in order for me to be here right now. So everything that you're saying is really scary to uh, settlers because they don't know these truths. And uh, my hope is, is that we will start teaching real curriculum. And, you know, you made a point about, um, you know, who owns the land. And the truth is, is that I've always been told by our elders that, you know, we inherit the land, but it, we have to give it to our, our next generations. We're just borrowing it for the next generations. And um, we've, we've uh, when I say we collectively is like this Western economy that's been imposed on our, on our lands, it's really hurt the earth. It's really um, hurt our water system everything there's there's nothing unaffected so i can totally see why somebody who's been affected by western colonization would be instrumental in this conversation and you're talking about the circles and sharing um you know they are the key uh i've been lucky enough to run this book club for five years now and it's probably going to continue now on zoom forever until somebody until i have nobody else to have a book club with i guess but to me that it is important to have indigenous led conversations in these circles because we've never had them before and your voice and and the voice of uh, our elders that that needs to be front and center so that we hear from you 
your version of, of history and what you've lived through, what you experienced, because it, this is what we need to know in order to move forward. I'm not ashamed of our past. It, it's, it happened. We just have to learn about it and not ever do anything like that again and start dismantling the systems that today um, I'm, I'm also a co-chair to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Committee in Calgary. And, uh, you know, we, we experience so much violence and denying our truth is the fundamental, you know, root of it. We can't quit. We have to quit doing this. We have to be honest. And part of the reason why I started this podcast is so that we can get proper media and representation and have voices like yours telling this truth. Um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for it. So, you know, in this book, you talk about the circles, actually, and that's a part of how it came to be. And uh, I was just wondering, are you still continuing the circles? And are there other folks that are interested? And um, how are those continuing? Caleb answered that one. <laughs> um, COVID put a, a damper on us doing things in it. Um, we, uh, we did a sort of a book review or a book club in um, six sessions. We broke the book up into segments and we, over the COVID period in the winter, um, invited anybody who was part of Reconciliation St. Paul, um, which is sort of a, um, we call it a, a grassroots non-organization. Yeah. We refuse to have leaders. We refuse to have a central body. We refuse to conform to all of the things that, um, mainstream society says that you have to have to be a society, to be an organization, to be an agency. We just don't do any of those things. We're neighbors who get together and we share what we have without status, without um, recognition by a government. Um, we just bring whatever we have to the table and we meet and we try to get things done by getting to know each other better, by sharing food. Um, sorry, I was one in a little direction there with Reconciliation St. Paul, but it's important to know is that we're just neighbors getting together, learning to know, love each other and to share with each other. Um, that's important to know that that's how we conduct ourselves in circle. And so we have these circles and we have people contributing to the, and learning about the history of St. Paul de Métis on Zoom. And we had people from Ontario who come from, who originated from the area and a young man from BC who um, reached out and said that, you know, it changed the course of his life in, in six little sessions. And um, um, that, uh, that's that made, the power of what that we made do. it all worth it. <laughs> that's the power. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so important because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's not just settlers that are learning about their history, but Jesus, for some of us, that's really empowering. You mm -hmm. know, you're just floating for all this time wondering, why does everybody hate me? Why doesn't, why, why will no one take me seriously? Why am I dismissed regularly? Why am I mistreated all the time? And when you hear the reason why, and it essentially does come from land theft is, um, mm -hmm. you know, because while we agree that no one's supposed to own the land, that's not what the Western economy has imposed on us at all. Yeah. And, and they see it as that, and they are really proud to have six generations paying a mortgage on land that was stolen. So yes. it, it, you know, that's what's threatening them. That's where their fear is coming from. And the irony is, is that we're not even asking for all that land back. Mm -hmm. I, I heard a statistic, it's like 80% of the land is crown land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can all utilize that land. Uh, it doesn't have to be just, you know, leased out to uh, mining companies and oil and gas production. It can actually be given to the people as well. And we mm -hmm. could actually live equally. Um, 
you know, but that's, that's a lot of conversation for folks that are, are still brand new to learning their true history. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful you're doing all of this work. And just as you got inspired by just that one person who said this changed the directory of their life, that, that makes me so happy to see somebody, you know, reclaiming who they are or reclaiming their understanding of, of what, what they thought they knew. Um, and even for me, today is going to be one of those days for me because um, I grew up, so I grew up in Sylvan Lake and I graduated uh, high school there in 1994. So I was living through the Oka crisis, what they actually call the Ganawage invasion, which is a proper way to say it because, um, you know, there was no crisis. They, they got invaded and they were targeted by the military and by the, by the town of Oka, you know, it, it's an awful story. Anyway, that movie Beans has come out and it's told through the lens of a young girl. And my daughter um, is, you know, 14. So we're going to go, go see it. But I remember what it was like being that age in a school system that is, you know, white supremacist and really derogatory towards Indigenous people and people looking at me like it was somehow my fault and looking down on me like it was somehow my problem, you know, and, um, you know, that's that bigger concept of just anti-Indigenous bias that's so prevalent in our society and in our media. And if we don't have, we as Indigenous people don't make our media and, and tell our truth, like there's no way these settler e editors and, and uh, internet providers will do it. I mean, our stuff gets regularly, you know, um, reported on Facebook, Twitter, you know, our posts get taken down on Instagram, TikTok, everything. So it's just really important that we try to find some way to tell these truths for not just our youth and our future, but like, I find the settler youth are so open to hearing this, these truths. Like they're not scared of, you know, the fear-based belief system mm -hmm. that oh, all these natives are going to steal the land. It's not like that, but mm -hmm. they, you know, you can't, you have to uneducate all of that anti-Indigenous bias that has been mm -hmm. taught over the decades to all these folks, right? Yeah. So uh, generations of anti-Indigenous bias yeah. that we have that's, to undo. That's the other work that uh, other members of our team are also doing is that we've been done a couple of presentations, one to the Museum Society that Roy talked about, uh, another to the uh, French Association, Pierre gave a French, a French language presentation and it, um, although our intention is, is love and sharing, um, the um, protection of white fragility has <laughs> created an effect where we are, whether we want to or not, kicking a hornet's nest. Yes. Um, yep. And so that's that's been a struggle for us to work through is how do we how do we love someone who's lashing out at us? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's been something that we're working on. And that's exactly right is the younger people, um, the next generation, they're ready for it. It's the old guard that are still holding on to um, their stories and so that yeah we do these we've done a couple of these presentations and there's all of the tropes that you would expect would come out is that you guys are revising history and look um we have french uh historians that are we're going to bring in to tell you that uh oral history is not good history it's just rumor and 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 um and storytelling it can't be relied on um and so like that's the kind of resistance that we're getting is is uh, which is too bad because we're, I'm, we're not trying to take the French side of the story away. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we're trying to bring forward the Métis account that 
has been suppressed and has been kept down and uh, and has created a dynamic in St. Paul where, where there are folks who are from the Métis communities who get stomach tension just coming into town. You know, have that ugly gut feeling is the words that they use, just coming into town. Yeah. And so when you have that dynamic where you've got someone who's on edge and has an ugly gut feeling just coming around to do their business in town and then sees that they're being followed everywhere that they go in town. I'm tired. I'm really, really tired of hearing every single indigenous person that comes to deal in St. Paul or any town in Alberta. It always comes up. I get watched. I get assumptions made about me. Why does that have to be the case? And so like, and, and so the, those two things, they feed into each other. You've got this ugly gut feeling about that you're being watched and that you're being treated lesser than, and so you're on edge. And so when someone does finally cross the line with you and you express your anger and frustration with them, then you become the stereotype that, that the mainstream society wants of you, that you're uncontrolled, that you're savage, that you're, um, you're a problem, you're lesser than, and, and, and like that's a positive cycle that, that the only way that you can break that down is for people to, to get together with safety for everyone to be able to express their stories. And, and I mean, call it what you want. Circle process yeah. is, is the protocol is the methodology for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, uh, one of the bigger uh, things that I hear from the settler point of view, you know, on the, on the, the French part of the, the St. Paul de Métis was the fact that the church was so powerful. And I hear from a lot of French families how the, the first son and the first daughter should be, was told they should become a priest or a nun. And, and you know, and then there was a church every 10 miles. And I, I, I can understand the progression back then. Like there was a, you know, a lot of settlers coming in and everything. So in order to be, uh, you know, to fulfill the, the wants of the church every 10 miles well you create you you're told well if your son becomes a priest and your daughter be you'll be blessed well you know i mean you're blessed you're closer to god or whatever does that mean that person wanted to become that no i think everybody has a, a destiny in life a purpose and if you're it doesn't matter who you are if you're uh, if you're bullied in school and you become a policeman, you can use that power in the wrong way. If you're if you're forced to become a priest or a nun and that's not your calling, you use that power in the wrong way. Now, is that person bad or is the system wrong? Mm-hmm. I look at the system as being wrong, you know, and the system is the one that has to answer to that. The person that was so-called done wrong could go to confession and say, you know, Lord, I'd never want to be a priest and become a married man. And I, to me, God looks down at him and, and, and says, okay, go on with your life. But one day the system will have to answer to that. And that's what's happening. And it doesn't matter whether it be a church, a business or whatever. If you're not, if your motives are wrong, you have to be accountable for your actions sooner or later. Yeah. And, and as an individual, like myself, as an alcoholic, uh, I never drank every day. But when I couldn't face life on life's terms, I use alcohol. Now, it's not my my wife's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. It's not, I have to become honest with myself. And, and that's what has to happen in society. People have to be honest. And, and that's why 
if we can come together collectively, all what became wrong can become right again yeah, to, yeah. to a big degree. Yeah. Because there's just so much negativity and, and wrongdoings in the world that people are, that's why there's so much tension. There's so much, uh, you know, stress in the world. So what is man doing? He's creating all kinds of uh, stuff to get rid of the stress. But for myself, actually, it's about being honest and about coming to these tables. And that's the medicine I need. Yes. Now, that, that's my own individual look on things. But, uh, you know, and we live in a world where we, we live in an instant world. People want instant happiness, instant this. No, it ain't going to happen if, if we don't get down to, like I say, to the core of that root where it started from. Um, so, so this going back to people say don't go back to the past sometimes you have to go even as a as a uh, an individual you have to go back to your to your childhood to yeah. your inner child well that's what i think people have to do worldly you have to go back to that inner inner beginning of where this all started wrong you know well and, uh, Roy, I think the next generation like we're trying to uh, do that intergenerational healing so that our you know next generation doesn't have to and i think that's the power of what you're talking about is that by trying to be accountable to yourself as well you know yeah. that that's what that intergenerational healing is and culture is prevention so the sooner we learn our truths and our culture yeah. you know these are things that will help us move yeah. forward and i i um i was lucky enough to be a part of something called um well variety and it, there's a, a wonderful program called Mending Broken Hearts, and it really deals with the trauma that causes the addictions. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, well, and, and not just that, it, it's actually for grief. So I, th I find that in our world, um, especially because we have so many, um, you know, injustices, that it's you know, almost impossible to grieve, right? Unless you're given a safe space to actually discuss it and not being told, oh, there's no way a police officer would have done that. There's no way that the Canadian justice system would have done that. And our people are, are grieving, they're hurting, and we need to give them that space to grieve properly and to tell their truth so that they can move forward. So, you know, it is all part of the bigger picture and, and I we have to be honest about the past in order to move forward. Um, so I, I'm grateful that you're doing this work and I'm grateful Caleb is, I'm grateful for your uh, reconciliation circle um here our book club really evolved into the group that you know started doing the renaming of langevin and i think uh, john a mcdonald will be our next school that we try to go after um we're in the middle of a an election cycle though so i think that we're gonna really have to hold our um school trustee candidates to account on some of those things but also our municipal and um, leaders that are running for councils and for mayors, you know, they have to all be asked about what truth and reconciliation looks like to them. Because a lot of them come in with their, you know, anti-Indigenous bias and really call to action 57 is all public servants having um, Indigenous education and anti-racism training. And the average politician running, holy, do they need that? <laughs> Holy. So has there been much of a response from St. Paul um, municipality, like the uh, councillors, the mayors? Are they a part of your group at all? 
Well, I just want to elaborate on one thing. We had a sure. um, we had a uh, interview with the county of Saint Paul, Ooh. and uh, which turned out really good. But the only thing, the last statement was said was by one of the French settlers says, "When are you going to write this book in French?" And then I go, "There you go. It's one sided again. It should be written in mischief." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, so you, because it, the Métis is is about two people. Mm not just one so that's what uh you know <laughs> so that's that one-sidedness and whatever you're taught you know and uh, yeah so so i think that you know that, that but that's all part of coming together in a circle and 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 understanding where that person's at you know uh in the book we have a, a part where uh, i i i made a statement about well i i can elaborate maybe a little more on, on from what the book said I, I went to a hockey game in St. Paul and there was natives and white uh, St. Paul players and native players on the other side. And then there's a fellow um, from down the road and a, a French settler, but he's married to a Métis girl. And, and he was had a few drinks or something. He says, hey, Missile, you F and half breed, why aren't you with the, with the natives? And if that would have been back in my drinking days, I probably would have went and plowed him. And it was yeah. like the good Lord said, and so I, I made a joke out of it. I said, hey, I said, I said, I got the best of two worlds. I said, if if uh, the natives are winning, I put my moccasin on and go and sit with them. I said, if, if the St. Paul's winning, I'll put my cowboy boot on. Well, these guys all start laughing. This guy didn't have an answer. So, I mean, but I, but I was blessed with coming out with a good answer instead of being, uh, but having the, the downside of that three months later, I realized I still carried a resentment because when I seen them at a car show, I was going to go up to him. I was going to say, you don't love your wife very much because she's Métis. And what does that make her if I'm yeah. an F and half breed? But then it was like, don't go there because see, what I understood from that is you don't, you don't uh, fight fire with fire. So, so I'm, I'm better off to, that made me understand what that guy was taught. He was taught to say stuff like that. And yeah. it came out when he drank. There was a lot of stuff that came out when I drank that that was inside of me that wasn't nice. So I that's what I have to do, come to an understanding that everybody's, we're all together on a journey. Everybody's at a different place in their journey. Yeah. And, and if I can understand that and, and try to see the good part of the person, even if in my mind, there's only 5% good or 10% good <laughs> in that person, you know, embrace that part. And, and, and the next time I see him, there might be 20% good. And, and that's what I got to look at. I got to look at the spark instead of the try to look for the fire. Yeah, that's good. I, um, I know our, it, it, it's, it's shocking to me talking to elders like yourself who are always trying to teach folks like me who are not there. You know, you have to find the good. You have to work on the good. And that's, that's where you have to start from. And it's really hard. Um, I get really angry. When I heard how, you know, a lot of like my my elders literally in my mouth, like right here, right now, telling me how they've forgiven their abusers. And I just get so angry and so mad because the biggest thing I've been learning, obviously, is that anger is shows that our boundaries have been, you know, whole voted over, you know, that we tried. I think Caleb really talked about it with the whole following. And then, you know, we become this angry Indian when we have the audacity to stand up for ourselves the way that any settler would. I was race settler. So 
I have all the care and energy in this little native body. So I have no problem standing up for myself. And it really, it really bothers me because I see many, many of my friends, many of my sisters, my, even my elders who've beaten, who've been beaten down so much that they um, don't advocate for themselves, that they're past that point. They will never be there. And that, that bothers me. I never want to see that from the next generation for sure. And I, I, you know, have so much tobacco that I, and prayers that I put down so that, you know, every single elder, every sister, every brother can find their voice and be who they are without being scared and intimidated by this white supremacist system. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate your kindness and your love and your charity that you give to people who wrong you, because uh, even for folks like me, I'm still trying to get there. I, I have no forgiveness for that right now. I feel like, you know, you're educated. You have no reason to do this. And then you see their ugliness really come out. And I'm seeing it online. Online, uh, you know, they can hide behind profiles and be awful human beings. But, um, you know, these are like, you feel what I felt in real life by people who I went to school with, by teachers, by, um, you know, police today. I tried to do... Uh, teachings for District 4, the Calgary Police, and there was this one very specific fellow, and he just clearly did not care, and then they shortly, shortly after that killed um, Robin Fiddler, and I just knew there was no place for me trying to teach these folks anything about Indigenous people. They just hate us. They want to kill us. They kill us, and they get away with it, and I see it. Uh, Kristen, a young man's um, killer, just got away with it, and uh, there's two Métis fellows up in your area that got killed for hunting for their families. And I just, I'm not there. So I, when I hear you say these things, Roy, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you trying to teach me this and teaching others are, you know, it's not just me. There's many of us that are like done and tired of this mistreatment. And I hate that you get mistreated. And I hate that my daughter does and I hate that my granny does and my mom and everybody else I just argh, just drives me crazy right now so I got to learn how to let that go because I'm on high blood pressure pills <laughs> 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 so I, I appreciate you trying to teach this forgiveness generosity just one little kindness. one little thing I want to say about sure uh, uh Caleb but we were talking about when uh when uh COVID hit, we were, uh, had this book club and it made me feel like I, I got to get in and learn how to use a computer and that I missed out on all that last winter. I could have been a part of that, but but I'm, I'm old school, eh? Yeah. You know, I, I told him, I, I, when we started this this book, I said, I, I just got a cell phone. I just got rid of my smoke signal. So <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a little slow on everything. <laughs> I better start catching up. That's I drive awesome. an Indian. I'm, uh, there's a show, the world's fastest Indian, but I might be fast on the motorbike, but not the computer world. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you know what? I So just to give you perspective, Roy, <laughs> like I'm of the generation that was supposed to be completely adaptable in computers. And this podcast did not have a video <laughs> component until COVID. And I had to learn Zoom and I had to learn how to record. And then my husband, he said, no, it's easy for me to make this audio. 
So we continued the podcast, but I just started a YouTube and my daughter who's 14 is like, oh my God, my mom, you know, she's so embarrassed, right? And understandably when I was 14, I was embarrassed in my family too, but you know, it's different because, you know, to her, I should have done this YouTube stuff. Like that should have been the start of it. Right. And uh, I, so I'm not there yet with technology either. And even my husband, he has to teach me how to do editing so that I know how to do this a little more um, than being so dependent on him to do it. So, you it's know, like don't mom, feel alone. <laughs> it's like my mom said, my grandfather, he drove horse all his life and he got a Model T. And she said, all I remember him coming over the hill and he's pulling on the steering wheel and he's going, whoa, whoa. And like, he's hitting every, every, every pedal and everything except because <laughs> he rode horses all his life. And he says, he's coming down that hill and he's pulling on the steering wheel trying to stop it. So oh, I guess it's, goodness. you know, it's a transition with everything, yep, but, no but that's part of it. it. It's like, I don't need this. I don't need a computer. I don't need this. Well, the world's going ahead and I'm staying where I'm at. Well, you know, it's either I change with the world or, or I get left behind, you know, and, and uh, I still like, I still think it's very important for people to get together one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. But having said that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in remote areas, they can't. And that's where I think Zoom is good. But I think once COVID is over and people can start getting together, because I think as people were made to have fellowship, yes. direct fellowship with one another. Yes. And I think that's why, you know, the, 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 the native people, you know, the, the, the TP, the circle, it just everything is, well, even, even the Métis, we have the infinity uh, symbol. Yeah. so it's never ending so I, I i really i really think that's so important and and that's uh to me that's a gift from the creator all that it it, it means something mm -hmm. maybe not to, to a lot of white settlers like i learned this in the treaties they said where a lady explained that colonization is go straight ahead and knock everything down in front of you it's kind of like flat whereas with the native way was about whatever you take you replace mm. and that's called like keepers of the land you know and and and, and to, to to try to explain that to a settler it's well you know well we need you know we need to produce well does one farmer need to have ten thousand acres and the other guy text him nothing no that's right. called self greed and selfishness yeah that's what i call it but yeah. you know I'm with you, my friend. I uh, really appreciate you, you talking about this. Uh, something that I think that people may not understand that you do because you have both the French and the English in St. Paul. Um, is so a, a lot of the new generation, they're like, don't ever call me half-breed. That's the most offensive thing I've ever heard. And I tried to tell them, okay, but do you really understand why that term exists? And um, I think Maria Campbell explained it really well in her book, Half-Breed, where she talked about how every settlement of Canada had an English component and a French component mm -hmm. and the um, Indigenous that, you know, either got with the English or got with the French, either were Métis or, or half-breeds. So that was actually an acceptable term to acknowledge whether you were French or English Indigenous. So what are your thoughts on that term? And I, I ask you that in the hopes that we can help our next generation understand it better. Well, my term half breed uh to me uh i didn't really have a problem with it uh, uh other than the fact that uh 
I, I wasn't learned on it, like what it actually meant, but I, but I realized now that half breed meant if uh, you were part Scotch or English or whatever, and you married into the native side, then you were considered a half breed. I think Métis is a distinct, it just from the French, but the only part that I, I, I having a little bit of uh, this discontent with is, is uh, like, uh, I don't understand, like, uh, you're not allowed to have a Métis card if you're a half-breed. So I don't know where they fit in, like the half-breed itself. Like, yeah. where does he fit in as part of the whole picture? Me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying you know, to... That, that's a part I, I'm very... I, I know the Métis, you know, they've set their, their boundaries of who they are and what they are. But, but uh, with history books, like the half-breed was all still all a part of this, all a part of the making of of everything so so i think uh for myself that that's going to cause little controversy in upcoming stuff or whatever but mm. uh i don't know how it could be resolved like i i, I just uh, i don't really have too much to say on it i just i just have a knowing that an understanding that i'm of metis descent but that doesn't mean i i don't have a concern of of these other people that all paid a played a part of history yeah. I have a couple of thoughts about it. I, um, sure. What comes to mind is Métis, French translated to English, means mixed. Yeah. Half-breed means mixed. If you look at, uh, I'm trying to struggle with the language, mestizo, or there's, there's Spanish versions of the same thing, meaning mixed. Um, and I'm sure if you look at every other mixed group in, in just about every language between colonizer and indigenous around the world, there'll be a word for it um I, that's really all i have to say about that uh, the piece i wanted to add was um i've heard some discussion among more um metis academics or metis sociologists i guess uh trying to push for a slight shift in the language away from metis or half-breed to machif just like you call someone cree and they speak cree or neheo and they speak nehewewen the machif people speak machif yeah um and it, i'm sure you i mean i i wouldn't be doing justice to try to go in, in any more depth about that but I'm, I'm sure you could find someone to have a very detailed and interesting conversation about that language piece and I, if i'm remembering correctly i might have gotten that piece of knowledge from the um metis podcast on that's uh canadian geographic and metis Na nation of saskatchewan mm. co collab called uh Pagwigwe. that's probably butchering the pr pronunciation but i think that's where i got it from sure um and i thought that was really really interesting yeah i i think i've seen christy belcourt basically tweet that same kind of concept as well mm. and i think it's really important and uh i don't you know want to diminish anybody's rights by any stretch the opposite i think uh you know, in, in so my my lineage is way up north, and the way I see, you know, the Inuit, the Dene, the um, Métis work together as if there's almost no difference, even though there is. Like obviously, the Inuit um, and the Métis, they have their own distinct languages, um, which of course then means they have their own distinct culture. But there is so much coming together of the three. So when uh, I hate pan-indigenizing people, I do. Um, I just wish that we understood that we all have inherent rights. And I, I just felt like in up north, they understand that better. 
Um, but, you know, there is so much whitewashing up there too. And, um, you know, I come from a very, very proud Catholic family because that's what they were told at Fort Providence Sacred Heart. You better be Catholic. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I, I obviously, I'm trying to reconnect who I am. And um, that doesn't include the church, actually the opposite. So um, I have a lot of respect for folks like yourself trying to work with the churches. Uh, and that was really clear within the book that you were, um, you know, trying to work with everyone. And as much as I try, I, um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm beyond having patience for white fragility, um, 100% actually. And I've had people try to literally get me fired from volunteering a book club because I've called them out on their white fragility. So, you know, it, and it's, it's just, it's such a shame because it's, you know, it's work they have to do on that. Um, you know, us talking about our truths shouldn't be something that we get attacked for, but it happens all the time. But Roy and Caleb, um, you know, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on my show, sharing your perspectives and Roy, Caleb, both of you, I'd love to have you back anytime, especially on some of the work you're doing with reconciliation, because, uh, you know, I, I think we, if we're going to be honest about what reconciliation is, we do need to have these talking circles across the country. I have noticed some of the churches have become, you know, a, a subcommittee of reconciliation, having that conversation. And it's the people who really care about it that seem to be all on these circles. And I think we all have to come together, one, to you know, give each other strength. But that bigger picture is that I think we're all coming across the same thing of settler fragility, white fragility, and we need to um, you know, get past that threshold. And uh, hopefully we can collectively figure out how to do that together. And as we move forward, you know, I wanna share your wins. And I think this book is a ridiculous win. And it, it's so inspiring to me to, I, I hope that more folks all across the country make a book very similar to this. And I'll obviously share the link, but is there a link that is the preferred link so that you guys can maybe get um, at least some of the costs back and preferably donations going to your reconciliation club? Well, um, we don't take written donations, uh, and the if you're buying the book print copy, um, it's being sold at cost uh, because it was paid for by uh, Alberta tax dollars from a grant, and so um, yeah, you can. It's being published through Amazon, and the print copy is sold at cost, and you can also get the Kindle copy for ninety nine cents. So that's that's the best way to get it is through through Amazon. If if for some reason somebody doesn't want to pay for the book, they can uh, they can message us on Facebook, uh, Facebook or email us um, reconstpaul at gmail.com and I'll send you a free PDF. Um, getting the story out there is more important than than the the money. Um, I think we have to break our relationship with, with, with money and understand that economy is bigger than capitalism. Um, sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. That's all I wanted to say. So all I welcome. Yeah. I'd like to say uh, for all the elders out there, just think about instead of bingo this winter. Say that <laughs> again. Down, instead of instead of going to bingo this winter, one night maybe sit down and start reading a good book mm. called Restoring Saint Paul the Bingo. <laughs> You know this what? Just a suggestion. <laughs> you know what? I tell everyone my Bible is the GRC, so there I feel you, you on this. 
and and uh, and whoever wants to sit down and read the book, they can phone me, and I'll, I'll maybe even throw in the bucket of KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I want that. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. And I can't wait to have you guys come back at any time to talk about some of your wins or lows. I'd love to hear it. And uh, we have our book club coming up on Monday uh, through the public library. And some of you are going to come join us. And again, this is an Indigenous centered conversation. Uh, I'll record that, throw it up on my uh, YouTube as well. So I really hope, oh, excuse me, that a lot of people have a lot of you know, good questions to ask you and, and that, uh, you know, you feel comfortable on not just my podcast, but our book club as well, because this is how the work is going to get done if we're, if we're honest about reconciliation and healing intergenerational trauma. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so I have a ridiculous long exit. And the reason why I repeat it every single episode is because, you know, folks in St. Paul, this might be the one and only uh, native Calgarian they listen to. So these resources might be new to them. And if they're not, that's even better, because that means that they already know that all these resources exist. So, uh, and feel free, both of you to pop in if I say something that you'd like to add to. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or cultural first aid and almost all of them to create a safer space for indigenous people of color those with disabilities and lgbtq2 plus to speak uh, i want to say thank you to cheryl ward chelsea branch and alicia fritkin of here to help.bc.ca they have a section on what is indigenous cultural safety and why i should care about it and I've said it over 100 times on my podcast, so please support Indigenous work as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to repeat it and uh, highlight it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experienced by the structure of supremacy imposed on these lands. Um, RacialEquityTools.org has a good um, piece about internalized racism by Donna Bevins, uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. They have a, a whole piece. Uh, if you see or experience racism, you can report it at acttoendracism.ca or text at 587-507-3838 here in Alberta. Uh, and th those are actually our um, Asian friends that have put that together. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded, no more, honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budgets with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, if they're cutting indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, if they just have a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to those parties are directly negatively impacting uh, marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Girls and Two-Spirit, 
Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand changes from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. A great article I read out loud is episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Actually, as of today, there's tons of different, um, you know, how to be an ally to Indigenous people if you were to Google it. So I really encourage that. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talked about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at their website at hopeforwellness.ca. If you more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is 24-7 crisis line as well. If you're non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. And there's also a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta, um, hashtag survivor driven, if that's uh, an issue as well. Uh, the Trevor Project has wonderful resources for LGBTQ2+, especially youth, um, and you can even text at 647-694-4275, and the Kibbs help phone, of course, 1-800-668-6868, and lifevoice.ca has tons of crisis support lines uh, for peer, whichever you're looking for. Violence is an everyday reality for me. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started the podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, because many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell theirs. Um, there's not an understanding of colonialism. The constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigil, and our rights. There are microaggressions, and then people dealing with internalized racism and become real gatekeepers. Um, internal, external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her. I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Uh, thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, he has supported me in my journey of the Red Road for decades, witnessing racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope one day that my family will be proud of us trying to discuss these uh, you know, present day issues in a way that they can understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening, watching, and can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot afford to give. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. 
And I did say I came from the land of the hair people. So I want to say I give side eye to all these Calgary and Treaty 7 rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.